0: Welcome to the Inside the Boards Study Smarter Series, dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer, so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Hello, and welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. My name is Sam Strike, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Today, we will review Step 1 questions from the GI system to help you study on the go. For most of these questions, I think it will be most helpful if we read the last line of the question or the interrogative first, before going on to read the entire prompt. We'll talk through some strategies for efficient test taking and solidify important concepts about the gastrointestinal system. With that being said, let's get started. Here's the first question. The microorganism causing the patient's illness is also responsible for which of the following conditions? A 32 year old woman presents to the emergency department with complaints of fever, abdominal cramping, and diarrhea for the past two days. She has no other complaints. She does not use tobacco but drinks alcohol socially. She has no medical problems and does not take any medications. The patient mentions that she recently visited a seafood restaurant. Vitals show a blood pressure of 99 over 61, a pulse of 106. Respiratory rate of 14 and a temperature of 38.1 degrees Celsius. Physical examination reveals dry mucous membranes. The microorganism causing the patient's illness is also responsible for which of the following conditions? Your answer choices are: A. Gasking green, B. Painless necrotic ulcers, C. Boil-like skin lesions, or D. Wound infections. The correct answer is D, wound infections. The most likely diagnosis for this question is acute gastroenteritis caused by a non-cholera species of Vibrio. Acute gastroenteritis related to seafood intake is most commonly due to Vibrio parahemolyticus. The patient's physical examination and vital signs indicate dehydration due to gastroenteritis. Vibrio parahemolyticus infection can cause a varying degree of illness, including gastroenteritis, wound infections, and in more severe cases, it can cause sepsis. Patients who develop an infection with concomitant liver disease, diabetes, or alcoholism have a poor prognosis and are more likely to develop septicemia. Clostridium perfringence results in gas green Green, which is answer choice A. Answer choice B, of painless necrotic ulcers and answer choice C, of boil-like skin lesions, is usually seen in cutaneous anthrax. Here's your next question. A 65-year-old male patient recently diagnosed with multiple myeloma presents to the office with complaints of nausea and vomiting. He denies any abdominal pain or recent trauma. He is passing stool and flatus. He was started on chemotherapy for multiple myeloma when he started having this symptom. The oropharyngeal examination is normal. Abdominal x-ray is normal. He is given a drug that prevents chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. What is the mechanism of action of this drug? As a general test-taking strategy, you could definitely save some time on this question by reading the last two sentences of the prompt first. The most important thing to know Is that the drug of question is used to treat chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, which you already know from reading the last two sentences. You can save valuable time by moving straight to the answer choices. The answer choices are antagonism of 5-HT2 serotonin receptors in the area postrema, answer choice B, antagonism of 5-HT4 serotonin receptors in the area postrema, answer choice C. Antagonism of 5-HT3, serotonin receptors in the area postrema, or D, antagonism of 5-HT5, serotonin receptors in the area postrema. So, before identifying the correct answer, what is the name of the drug this question is referring to? If you guessed on Dansetron or Zofran, you're correct. Now that we know which drug, we can identify the mechanism of action. Ondansetron is a 5-HT3 receptor antagonist used in the treatment of chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. This was answer choice C. It acts on both the peripheral and central nerves to reduce vagal activity and depress the chemoreceptor trigger zone. It is also used in the treatment of postoperative and radiation-induced nausea and vomiting. On to our next question. Which of the following neurotransmitters are most likely to contribute to this patient's primary complaint? A 64-year-old female complains of several weeks of burning chest pain after meals and excessive burping. Pain is substernal, but occasionally radiates to the epigastrum. Symptoms are worse when eating spicy foods or consuming coffee in the morning. She tried antacids, but it failed to relieve her symptoms. She reports that she underwent cardiac stress testing last year with no significant pathology identified. Past history is significant for hypertension, for which she takes lisinopril. Which of the following neurotransmitters are most likely to contribute to this patient's primary complaint? Before I read the answer choices, let's summarize the prompt. We have a 64-year-old female with epigastric burning pain after eating spicy or acidic foods that isn't relieved with antacids. This sounds like a GI problem, but you could have considered cardiac causes on your differential as well. However, we are told she had a negative cardiac stress test one year ago, making that option less likely. In considering GI causes, her symptoms are consistent with acid reflux. What anatomical structure is dysfunctional in this disease? The answer to that question is a lower esophageal sphincter. The next question to ask yourself when reviewing this prompt is what kind of problem is there? Is there too much contraction or too much relaxation at the lower esophageal sphincter? In this instance, the problem is excessive relaxation of the LES. Knowing this information, we can assess what neurotransmitters play a role in this process. So here are the answer choices. A. Acetylcholine and vasoactive intestinal peptide. B. Atropine and substance P. C. Nitric oxide and acetylcholine or D, nitric oxide and vasoactive intestinal peptide. The correct answer choice is D, nitric oxide and vasoactive intestinal peptide or VIP. The lower esophageal sphincter is controlled by the myenteric plexus, which contains both inhibitory and excitatory neurons. Inhibitory neurons lead to LES relaxation while excitatory neurons lead to LES contraction. Nitric oxide and VIP activate inhibitory neurons directly. Atropine also leads to the relaxation of LES through the blockade of cholinergic excitatory neurons, which was part of answer choice B. However, the other neurotransmitter in choice B was substance P, which leads to lower esophageal contraction by directly activating the excitatory neurons in the myenteric plexus, along with acetylcholine, which makes answer choices A and C incorrect as well. Which of the following would be the most appropriate management in this patient at this stage? Here's your prompt. A 62-year-old male presents with complaints of heartburn. He also complains of slight epigastric pain. On presentation, he has a fever and hypertension, but normal pulse and respiratory rate. The physical exam does not demonstrate any significant findings. He has a hemoglobin level of 10, a total lymphocyte count of 5,000, and a normal platelet count. The medical record reveals a long-standing history of GERD. Chest x-ray and EKG are normal. An esophagogastroduodenoscopy shows intestinal epithelium replacing the squamous epithelium in the lower esophagus without any evidence of dysplasia. Which of the following would be the most appropriate management in this patient at this stage? In order to determine the best management course, we must identify the disease and stage of the disease. The patient has a long-standing history of GERD, with intestinal changes in the epithelium of the esophagus, but no dysplasia. These details help establish the diagnosis. What is it? The correct answer is non-dysplastic Barrett's esophagus. Knowing this diagnosis, we can identify the correct answer for management. The choices for management are as follows. A endoscopic radiofrequency ablation, B, proton pump inhibitors and periodic endoscopic surveillance, C, upper gastrointestinal barium series, or D, abdominal computed tomography scans. The correct answer for this question is B, proton pump inhibitors and periodic endoscopic surveillance. After the initial diagnosis of non-dysplastic Barrett's esophagus, or BE, is made, it is recommended to follow up with endoscopic surveillance every three to five years. The patient should be advised once-daily proton pump inhibitor therapy, irrespective of reflux symptoms. This is because of a chemopreventive effect of proton pump inhibitors, which reduces the risk of progression to neoplastic Barrett's esophagus. Since it affects the management, if BE is associated with dysplasia, it becomes necessary to confirm the presence of dysplasia with a second pathologist with extensive experience in BE-related neoplasia. All right, let's move on to our next question, starting with the interrogative first, The element deficient in this patient is mainly absorbed in which of the following segments? A 67-year-old woman comes to the department after noticing blood in her stools. She also gives a history of weight loss of 3 to 4 kilograms in the past two months. She has a history of hypertension controlled with amlodipine. Physical examination shows pale conjunctiva. Investigations are positive for fecal occult blood and microcytic hypochromic anemia. The element deficient in this patient is mainly absorbed in which of the following segments? And your answer choices are A. The antrum. B, proximal small bowel, C, terminal ileum, or D, large intestine. The patient most likely has iron deficiency anemia from chronic gastrointestinal bleeding, which is probably due to colon cancer based on her history of bloody stools in conjunction with unintentional weight loss. In order to answer this prompt, we must associate iron with the portion of the bowel that it's absorbed in. If you guessed B, the proximal small bowel, you are correct. Mucosal cells in the proximal small bowel mediate iron absorption. A ferric reductase enzyme on the enterocyte's brush border, called duodenal cytochrome B, or DCYTB, reduces ferric, or 3-plus iron, to Fe2+, which can then be absorbed. This enzyme is only found in the duodenum but other portions of the intestine can absorb iron as part of a protein. So keep that in mind for different variations on this question. All right, on to the next question. Which of the following is the most important risk factor for the underlying diagnosis? A 68-year-old man presents to the hospital with a four-month history of postprandial vomiting that progressed into hematemesis in the last week. He has a 30 pack year history of smoking and has been drinking socially. He has lost 10 pounds or 4.5 kilograms over the course of the last eight weeks. Physical examination is notable for epigastric abdominal tenderness upon palpation. An upper endoscopy demonstrates a bulky mass found in the lesser curvature of the stomach. CT studies supported these findings by determining a large gastric mass in the level of the fundus is. 8 centimeters in greatest diameter, which invaded the surrounding abdominal structure. Which of the following is the most important factor for the underlying diagnosis? And your answer choices are A. Smoking, B. Helicobacter pylori infection, C. Alcohol, or D. A diet rich in pickled foods. The correct answer for this question is B. Helicobacter pylori infection. The patient most likely has gastric cancer. The most potent risk factor for stomach cancer is chronic infection with helicobacter pylori. Even though H. pylori affects 50% of the world's population, less than 3% develop stomach cancer. Other factors related to stomach cancer include a diet rich in pickled vegetables and smoking. Previous gastric surgery and obesity are two other causes of stomach cancer. Here's your next prompt. The suspected nutritional deficiency in this patient is predominantly absorbed in what part of the intestines? A 55-year-old male with alcohol use disorder comes in for the evaluation of rash on his face and diarrhea for the past six months. He describes diarrhea to be foul-smelling and greasy. He is a vegetarian, and did not consume any meat products in the last 20 years. On further questioning, he complains of numbness and paresthesias of the lower limb. The complete blood count is ordered, which revealed normal normocytic anemia with a hemoglobin level of nine. On examination, the corners of his mouth are cracked with glossitis. Examination of his back revealed a nonspecific pruritic rash. His blood pressure is 130 over 80. The temperature, is febrile, and pulse is 89. The suspected nutritional deficiency in this patient is predominantly absorbed in what part of the intestines? And your answer choices are A, jejunum, B, ileum, C, duodenum, or D, transverse colon. The correct answer is A, jejunum. Here are some teaching points about this question. This patient presents with signs and symptoms of vitamin B6 deficiency. Vitamin B6 deficiency may present with seizures in the young, and severely deficient adults like this patient commonly present with rashes and mental status changes. Additional clinical findings of deficiency may include normocytic anemia and nonspecific pruritic rash, chelitis with scaly lip skin and cracks in the corner of the mouth, and glossitis or swelling of the tongue. Depression is also associated with a severe B6 deficiency as well. Vitamin B6 is predominantly absorbed in the small intestine jejunum and is metabolized at the cellular level in the mitochondria and cytosol to active forms in the liver. Excretion of B6 occurs in the kidneys and is albumin-bound in plasma, and the half-life elimination exceeds 15 to 20 days. The history for a patient with vitamin B6 deficiency should be targeted and age-focused. The older patient should be questioned on nutritional intake, supplement use, and medication history. Also critically important is eliciting a history of potential malabsorption syndromes, which have been strongly associated with vitamin B6 deficiency, such as inflammatory bowel disease, celiac, or surgery of the small intestines, including bariatric surgery. On a review of systems, the finding of weakness, mental status change, paresthesias, or other sensory or dermatological symptoms may suggest the diagnosis. Current studies are evaluating the role of B6 deficiency in heart disease, cancer, and cognitive decline as medical conditions that may respond to supplementation. To date, there is no clear evidence to support supplement use beyond normal dietary intake. However, some studies indicate a reduction of symptoms in the premenstrual syndrome with supplementation of B6 particularly a decrease in moodiness, irritability, and forgetfulness. So there's some extra teaching tips about this deficiency. Which of the following is the most likely cause of the condition? A three-year-old boy is brought to the office by his parents for blood in the diaper. The parents deny any abdominal pain, diarrhea, fever, vomiting, rash, or trauma to the child. He is up to date with the vaccination schedule. On examination, the vitals are stable. Abdominal examination shows no tenderness or organomegaly. Complete blood count with differential shows hemoglobin level of 10. The x-ray of the abdomen is normal. The technetium 99 scan shows radioisotope is taken up by the ectopic gastric mucosa. Which of the following is the most likely cause of this condition? And your answer choices are A, a mutation in the homeobox genes, B mutation in the sonic hedgehog gene, C, complete obliteration of the umphalomesenteric duct, or incomplete obliteration of the omphalo duct, which is choice D. In order to answer this question, it's necessary to interpret the technetium-99 scan results in light of the patient presentation. Ectopic gastric mucosa uptake for a positive technetium-99 scan and painless bleeding is associated with a specific childhood condition. Do you recall what condition this is? It's Meckel's diverticulum. Meckel's diverticulum occurs as a result of a specific cause, which is one of the answer choices mentioned before. I'll read them again now. A, mutation in the homeobox genes, B, mutation in the sonic hedgehog gene, C, complete obliteration of the mesenteric duct, or D, incomplete obliteration of the mesenteric duct. And the correct answer to this question is D. Incomplete obliteration of the umphalomesoteric duct. Michael Diverticulum is caused by the incomplete obliteration of the umphalomesoteric duct, which connects the yolk sac to the gut in the developing embryo. It provides nutrition until the placenta forms. At about seven weeks of gestation, the duct separates from the intestine. If the duct fails to partially or entirely separate an involute, it can result in an umphalomesoteric cyst from fistula that drains through the umbilicus or a fibrous band from the diverticulum to the umbilicus, which can cause an obstruction. If there is no additional attachment, it forms into a mechal diverticulum. It is the most common congenital anomaly of the gastrointestinal tract. Often these are completely asymptomatic. In a mechal diverticulum, the ectopic gastric mucosa secretes an acid that is not neutralized resulting in an ulceration of the adjacent mucosa, leading to the painless rectal bleeding, as seen in this patient. One pearl that will help you on test day is to remember the rule of twos for Meckel's diverticulum. Meckel diverticulum occurs in 2% of the population. 2% of those affected are symptomatic. Children are usually less than 2 years old when it's identified. It affects males twice as much as females. It's located two feet proximal to the ileocecal valve. It's two inches long or less, and can have two types of the mucosal lining. Here's our next question. A 45-year-old patient presents with complaints of epigastric pain, indigestion, and vomiting. The patient is diagnosed as a case of gastritis. An endoscopy and biopsy were performed. The biopsy shows erosions and loss of superficial epithelium. What type of gastritis is this? And your answer choices are A. Acute gastritis B. Chronic gastritis C. Helicobacter pylori gastritis or D. Autoimmune gastritis And the correct answer is A. Acute gastritis Acute gastritis shows features of erosions and loss of superficial epithelium, which is given to us in the question stem. So this makes this question pretty straightforward, but let's talk about how to rule out the other answer choices. In chronic gastritis, or answer choice B, the pathology will reveal atrophic gastritis, characterized by a loss of normal mucosal glands in the antrum, corpus, fundus, or all of the above, after decades-long progression of the disease. Biopsy of a stomach with infectious gastritis, or answer choice C, will demonstrate H. pylori or other infectious organisms such as Mycobacterium avium intracellulari, enterococcal infection, herpes simplex, and cytomyclovirus. Autoimmune gastritis, or answer choice D, will show diffuse mucosal damage and chronic inflammatory infiltrate, and this is often more common in women and older patients.